Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussions in Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And this week, we are talking about our top five favorite cantrips from 5th edition. And before we get started, I knew that at least one of us was going to cover some of these often picked cantrips, the ones like Prestidigitation, Thaumaturgy, Druidcraft. These are kind of my honorable mention uh, ones. Um, Guidance is super good. Eldritch Blast is a good go-to. So I I wanted to pick ones that were maybe the less often, uh, maybe overlooked ones that I have a lot of appreciation for, because I knew at least one of us was going to be talking about those. Um, So, Britton, if you want to kick us off and talk about your uh, first cantrip. Yeah, so in fifth place for me is Mind Sliver. Now, this, if you remember uh, or are familiar with our earlier episodes, this was actually a cantrip that was introduced in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Um, This is a sorcerer, warlock, and wizard cantrip. Um, So essentially what this spell is, uh, is an instantaneous one-action casting time cantrip Um, where you are essentially using the force of your own will, driving a psychic spike through the mind of your enemy. The target must succeed on an intelligence saving throw or take 1d6 psychic damage and then subtract 1d4 from their next saving throw they make before the end of your next turn. And the spell's damage increases by 1d6 when you reach certain levels. So at 5th level, it's 2d6. 11th level, it's 3d6. 17th level, it's 4d6. So initially, this is not um, crazy when it comes to damage output or anything like that. You know, 1d6 is like a hit of a, like a short sword, I believe. A short sword does 1d6 psychic damage, or 1d6 slashing damage, rather, plus your strength or dex mod, whichever one you're using. But for a sorcerer, warlock, or wizard that's kind of going to be back lines, you can use this cantrip to... Um, damage enemies from afar, but also make them subtract 1d4 from the next saving throw. So say your barbarian's got it in a headlock and he's trying to grapple it or things like that. It can, I think this is a really, really good cantrip for um, when you're fighting things that may not have the highest intelligence scores. So like animals or um, other creatures like that that uh, do not have the power of speech um, the undead is also a good way, a good thing to use this on as well. So I think this is a really cool cantrip because of that sole fact is that you can target a specific group of creatures that you might be fighting. Usually all animals have a very low, if not negative, intelligence score. So you're making sure that you're getting this damage in and that they are subtracting that saving throw on its uh, next turn. Yeah, that is quite good. And I think what we'll see a lot in these cantrips is this recurring theme of uh, either versatility or some sort of um, action economy where it's accomplishing multiple things with the same action. Yeah, exactly. And this uh, saving throw that they would be subtracting 1d4 from is could also potentially count towards your next Mind Sliver on it. If you want to just keep hitting this thing with Mind Sliver and making sure that it gets 1d4 subtracted from its next saving throw, you could do that. Um, your DM may not be super thrilled, but you could absolutely do that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I I think if it was me running that game, I'd be, I'd just be happy that my players are, you know, thinking about their uh, effects uh, on a recurring basis and using it in an, uh, you know, a thoughtful way. Yeah. I think something that some people tend to overlook when it comes to 
cantrips is that they look at the damage and then they look at any additional effects and they're not really looking at the type of saving throw that the target would have to succeed upon. And I think that having cantrips that are a, of a wide breadth of versatility when it comes to throughout your party, like we know that the wizard's going to be casting Mind Silver, so that's intelligence saving throws. The cleric could be casting Sacred Flame, and that's a dex saving throw. So making sure that you have these cantrips that are kind of a, a wide breadth of versatility around your team could serve you guys a lot better. And I think that Mind Silver is a really good addition to cantrips uh, that both damage and uh, debuff your enemy. Yeah, that is uh, is quite good. Um, anything else on on uh, on Mind Sliver? It's one of the ones I was most impressed by in Tasha's. One of the new ones. Yeah, me too. Um, one of the characters in my Sunday game actually use it quite a lot, and her using this uh, multiple times throughout the fights, I think, is actually the reason why it's on this list for me. Is on my top five because it saved us time and time again to be able to make sure that that creature that we're fighting has a one d four minus on its saving throw. All right, next up for me, my number five, um, I have Create Bonfire. Might not be the most impressive cantrip, but let's just a reminder what it does. You create a bonfire on the ground that you can see within range. Uh, until the spell ends, this magical bonfire fills a five-foot cube, and uh, a creature in that space or when it enters a space for the first time or ends a turn in that space makes a deck save, and on fail, they take a D, 1d8 fire damage. Um, bonfire obviously ignites flammable objects in the area that are not being worn or carried. And this is another one of those cantrips that this fire damage does scale, um, increases to 2d8 at 5th level, 3d8 at 11th, and 4d8 at 17th level. And what I like about this is, like I mentioned before, um, this is a really versatile spell. It can be used for many different things. Um, in our current Sunday game, party members used it just for creating a fire at the end of the day during overland travel. Um, and they don't want to spend the time or resources trying to find the necessary tools to start a fire, well, create a bonfire. Here we go. Here's, here's our campfire for the night. Um, or they've also used it to uh, start a fire underneath an enemy, and suddenly they have to uh, make a deck save or take some damage, and they likely have to move someplace else so they don't keep taking that damage. Um, and I think the range of this is actually um, pretty decent as well. It's a 60-foot range. So you have... A bit of versatility in what you want to do with this, um, as well as, uh, you know, creating some sort of, I wouldn't call this um, crowd control, but it is something where you can force an enemy to have to move off of their space, lest they take some fire damage in the process. Yeah, I think that this is a really interesting spell because of its versatility. Again, you know, the V word versatility, but I think the applications for this cantrip are both in and out of combat, which I really enjoy. Um, there are some cantrips, especially damage cantrips, that are only used in combat, uh, or there are some that are very specifically like this is an out of combat sort of situation that you would use this. Um, so I think that Create Bonfire is a little unique in that sense where it is in and out of combat applications for the cantrip. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next up, what, uh, what is your number four? So Jaren did say it earlier. Um, one of these that I chose, uh, inadvertently, I just, I think it's a really good cantrip. Um, I've used it a ton of times, but my, uh, number four slot for cantrips is guidance. Now, 
seasoned D&D 5e players will know this cantrip inside and out, but for those of you who are unfamiliar, Guidance is an is a divination cantrip. Uh, it is concentration. A cleric, druid, or artificer can cast this cantrip. Um, so you touch one willing creature, and before the spell ends, the target can roll a d4 and add the number rolled to one ability check of its choice. And it can roll the die before or after making the ability check, and then the spell ends. So if you have a cleric, druid, or artificer that has guidance, um, you almost want to be casting this literally every time they're about to do, like another party member is about to do something that would require a skill check. Because it is concentration, they could be going uh, up to a door to pick a lock, or someone could be walking up to a shady character in a tavern to try to acquire some information. Um, just a simple touch on the shoulder and concentration for a minute so that they can use that 1d4 at any point during the attempt of this skill. I just, I think it's really, really good. My cleric uses it. Um, it's it's just a free 1d4. Even if it's one, that one could be the difference between pass or fail. That is like almost as good as Bardic Inspiration as a cantrip. Yeah. Unfortunately, it does not level up uh, because I think at that point it would replace Bardic Inspiration. But still, the fact that it's a cantrip, you can do it an unlimited number of times per day. Uh, if someone is going to go talk to somebody, you tap them on the shoulder, they do their thing. You walk over to somebody else, tap them on the shoulder, they're going to pick the lock. You just keep handing out these 1D4s. Um, it is concentration, so you can't have two up at the same time. But, you know. Concentrating on guiding somebody. I can just... I think if I was um, the DM, I would... Uh, I would ask that uh, that particular player, please describe how you're guiding this person. Otherwise, they're just shouting out guidance every time <laughs> somebody's about to do something. I'd like to make it a little bit more flavorful. And I think that actually lends itself for the classes that are able to use it, the cleric, druid, and artificer. Cleric, um, not to be pigeonholed, but cleric generally, you know, they have the high wisdom score and they are seeking divine uh, information or using this divine magic to make these miracles happen. So I think they're kind of maybe pulling from their God's knowledge to tap them on the shoulder and influence these people and give them divine information or druids just using the power of the earth and the, and nature to, to help sway these people in the right direction. And, and artificer, I just can picture some bookworm nerd pushing up his glasses going, well, technically the way you're going to be wanting to do this is you're going to be sticking the lockpicks in and, do, and like just doing this long diatribe that's how they're casting guidance. Now that would be a really interesting way to play an artificer, I think. Oh yeah, um, as, as my the, artificer was very much like that. It was the, like the well actually nerd. Oh, fully. I you know not to <laughs> not to get too off topic here, but uh, he was a, a guild artisan and built these clockwork machines. And he met up with the party. Uh, he came upon a new party, and uh, they had a war forged with him with them. And the Warforged was malfunctioning, and he was like, "Oh well, your so your servo bot is malfunctioning, and I could probably fix that for you." And like, basically telling the party, "Oh, you have a defective party member." <laughs> I'm Not sorry. even thinking about, yeah. <laughs> Oof. So, what is your number four cantrip? So my number four um, is Mage Hand. I fell in love with this spell. Um, after seeing how useful it was on uh, on Critical Role, and from then on, I wanted to use it anytime I picked a spellcaster. 
is just a really cool spell. And to remind you, um, if you are less than familiar with the spell, uh, you create this spectral floating hand that appears um, within range at a point you choose. Um, it lasts for the duration, which I believe is up to one minute. Yep, it's got a range of 30 feet, duration of one minute. And um, it can only ever be up to 30 feet away from you, because otherwise it just disappears. But you get to control this hand. You can use it to manipulate an object, open a door, um, stow or retrieve an item, pour out the contents of a vial. These are just examples, just to give you some idea of the extent of what you can do with this. Um, you can move the hand up to 30 feet. And uh, the only things that it cannot do is attack, activate magic items, um, or carry more than 10 pounds. But within those constraints, it can be used for quite a bit. So the pure utility in this is why I love it. It's just got um, endless possibilities. The only limitations are how you can be creative with it. You could use it to, um, you know, maybe try to try to steal something without raising suspicion. Grab an item while uh, the tension is focused on you. You're controlling this mage hand off off screen, basically. Um, you'd use it to knock over items or tap someone on the shoulder. Um, maybe grab the uh, the keys off of the guards as you're imprisoned in your cell and they're caught sleeping. You know, there's so many ways that you can use mage hand in a creative way, um, or just as a as a third hand for yourself, you know, you don't want to carry your items. We'll just, um, you've got this floating coat rack, uh, of, of sorts. There's so many ways to use mage hand that it's, it's really hard to go over, you know, specific examples of why it's so good. It's really up to your imagination. Is mage hand concentration? I don't believe it is. Let me check. And it is, uh, not a concentration spell. That's awesome. Um, I, I, have nothing but agreements with you when it comes to mage hand i think mage hand is such an incredibly useful spell it's just it has so much utility power to be able to stow or procure objects to be able to you know i think there is a there's actually a certain rogue that can cast mage hand isn't that right yes one of the rogues cannot can do that yeah it's uh the the more magic oriented rogue i don't remember the name of the is the subclass. arcane trickster i think yeah that's the one um, now, it, here's one thing that it, I think is up to interpretation. It says it can't attack, but I don't know what the extent of that is. If that simply means you can't go up and um, slap someone with your mage hand, or if that means um, I, I can't preload a crossbow and set it on the ground and have my mage hand go pull the trigger. I don't know. I think that would definitely be up to DM discretion. Um, maybe if you're like readying an action, maybe. I don't know. But one of my, I, I think I was going to say one of my favorite things that I, I saw was um, uh, somebody using the example of what you could possibly do with with Mage Hand is have someone else cast Mage Hand. So you have two of them and then you're using it one hand to hold a bow, the other hand to draw it. <laughs> you have these two magical hands firing a bow for you. So I, I don't know if that <laughs> falls within the confines of can't attack or if that is something that you could be legally allowed to do within the rules of D&D. But I, th I think it's interesting and just shows an example of Mei Chan is cool with you know, as far as you can be creative with it. Yeah. And speaking of creativity, um, I'm going to go ahead and go with my number three slot, which is the least creative choice out of all of D&D. And that is Eldritch Blast. Now... I don't think I have anything to say about Eldritch Blast that anybody hasn't heard before. Um, this is a warlock-only cantrip. 
Um, it is a damage cantrip, range of 120 feet, and it is force damage. A beam of crackling energy streaks towards a creature within range. You make a ranged spell attack against the target, and on a hit, the target takes 1d10 force damage. Um, the spell creates more beams of energy as you level up, rather than the one spell doing additional damage if it hits or if they make the save. Um, but it creates two beams at level 5, 3 at 11, 4 at 17, and you can direct the beams at the same target or at different ones, and you make a separate attack roll for each beam. Um, like I said, I'm not going to talk this one to death because this is, you know, has been talked to death forever. This is the bland warlock choice, but it is, it's in the book for a reason. Um, it is incredibly strong. You are not relying on somebody, some other creature to succeed or fail a save. You don't know their intelligence, wisdom, dexterity score, so you can't really count on that. With Eldritch Blast, you are relying on your own stats to hit a target's AC, um, and force damage is the least resisted damage in 5e. Um, and the fact that as you level up, you are creating more beams rather than all of this damage hits or not, you have the chance to make, you know, three or four essentially attack rolls in your turn as a warlock to, um, to hit a target or multiple targets. So I think it's really cool that a cantrip can hit multiple targets and you don't need to be very close to them. Like like Word of Radiance, I believe, is a, is a cleric uh, cantrip that uh, they, they make a con save and every creature within five feet of you, you don't need to be close to any creature. You can just send out these Eldritch Blast beams from 120 feet away. Yeah, and on to a combat map, that is a really far distance. And all you really need to consider about Eldritch Blast is it's so good that a big chunk of the class is built around you taking Eldritch Blast. Many of the Eldritch Invocations that you get make Eldritch Blast that much better, including extending the range to, I think, up to 600 feet, which is crazy. Yeah, the, I think, yeah, it's called, like, Eldritch Spear, and, I mean, Agonizing Blast, being able to add your ability modifier to each beam, that means if you, if you roll and you hit all four, and you're, you know, level 17, you should have a plus five as your modifier, that means at the very least, if you roll min damage every time, you're doing six damage per beam. That's 24 damage guaranteed. From a cantrip. From a cantrip. At max, what, that's 40 plus 20? That's 60 damage? Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, and, and some of the other Eldritch Invocations just make it just really crazy. The ability to um, move somebody 10 feet on a hit. Um, that's all you really need to know is that they made the class kind of around you taking Eldritch Blast. That's how good Eldritch Blast is. Yeah, and I mean, for Warlocks that aren't casting that many spells per short rest anyway, you need something that is the that's the bread and butter. You need something that is your tried and true as a Warlock that will do damage. Yeah, not taking this would be a good challenge. God, you, you really would be nerfing yourself kind of into the ground um, and limiting yourself. But enough about Eldritch Blast. Right. Um, on to my number three. Um, I really like the cantrip message. Uh, as you, you kind of can tell about me, I really like these versatile role-playing type effects. Um, but message, just to remind uh, you if you're listening, um, is that cantrip where you point your finger towards a creature within range, um, you whisper a message, and it's only that target gets to hear it, and they can reply back 
um, as a cantrip, so you can do this many times. Um, they what's great about this is it's it's got a fairly good range. I believe it's 120 feet, and it can, it can go through solid objects, um, can go around barriers. Um, there is a little bit of a limitation to that, a one foot of stone or one inch of metal or a sheet of lead that it can't go through, um, three feet of wood blocks it can't go through, but anything else that's ordinary, like a regular wall, um, it can go around, uh, you know, it can go in curved paths around open doors through windows. I think that's what makes it, um, incredibly useful. So if you and your party are... Um, investigating a small settlement, for example, and you have one uh, character that wants to kind of do some scouting ahead or sneaking up and kind of checking things out, um, without line of sight, they can then convey, convey some of that information back to the party. All they need to know is where the, what direction they're in. They just kind of, you know, grab their copper wire if you're describing how your spells are cast and uh, whisper the message to them in that direction, uh, relay the information. So I think uh, the fact that it can go around, you know, around corners in a curved line, go through go through windows, is what makes this really good. Um, or if you need to whisper some information to your group and they're on the outside of a building, you know, um, don't need to be uh, line of sight. You just kind of stick your head uh, next to the window and whisper in their direction, and spell does its magic. It's the fantasy version of a walkie-talkie, basically. I really, really like message, um, mostly for its ability to just I, I don't know I, th I think being able to convey messages over a distance is really nice especially because there are so many times in 5e where you need to sneak where you need to use your dexterity and stealth so being able to you know whisper a message or convey information that may be very sensitive is very important and the ability to uh, have that person send a message back and then since this is a cantrip you could just keep on doing this there's no there's no numerical limitation to the you know doing this over and over again you can have this conversation and they can speak back to you through it mm -hmm. yeah so the pure versatility is, is why i love this one um it's you know not one that we're, we're maxing out damage and doing a lot of things but uh the versatility for the information gathering i'll say is what, what i love about this spell um, so on to our number twos, I believe. What, uh, what is, what takes up your number two slot? So in second place for me, um, I think it was again mentioned earlier, but I have so much fun with this spell. I think that Prestidigitation is such an awesome cantrip because it is the Swiss army knife for bards, sorcerers, warlocks, wizards, and artificers. Being able to... So this kind of has a large text block. I won't, you know, read everything. But for those that are unfamiliar, um, this is a, a duration one hour. It's a casting time of one action, but you can make it last up to an hour if you'd like. It is non-concentration. Um, you can create a minor magical trick. Um, you can make a puff of wind, a faint musical note, shower of sparks, or an odd odor. You can snuff or light a candle or torch or small campfire. Um, soil or clean an object no larger than one cubic foot. You can make a color, a mark, or symbol appear on an object or a surface for one hour. Um, you can create a non-magical trinket or a illusory image that can fit in your hand that lasts until the end of your next turn. It 
I don't know. It's is the Swiss army army knife of cantrips, and I think there's so like a thousand and one uses. Um, the sky is the limit, and your imagination can run wild with prestidigitation. Generally, if you can think of it and it's small enough and harmless enough, I'm pretty sure your DM will allow it. Yeah, like you said, this is sort of the Swiss Army knife of wizards being able to do creative things. And this is another one of those spells that really the extent of how good this is is up to your imagination. Um, it is that uh, wizard party trick, you know, where they can create different little harmless effects or maybe um, some sort of small uh, image or, or, or something like that. Um, it's really up to you, the player, to determine the limitations um, as to, you know, what this could possibly be used for. Yeah, I mean, being able to create a, like a, a, a color or a small mark uh, appear on an object, it, you can forge a signature, you can forge a document, you can have the king's seal be put on some sort of uh, envelope or parchment to forge a document. I think, you know, stuff like that, or being able to uh, light or snuff candles or torches is really, really important, especially if, you know, you hear people coming down a hallway in a cavern and you don't want to be seen and you don't have time to try to, like, you know, cover this torch or wrap it in something to make sure it goes out. You can just snuff it immediately. Yeah, exactly. So many different uses for this. Um, it's really up to you, the player, to determine um, just how, how cool or interesting this could be. Yeah, or, I mean, if you want to... I've definitely been the uh, I've, been, I've been the warlock behind my bard, showering them in sparks in their performance to try to give them advantage on their performance role. Oh yeah, certainly. Putting on a little a little light show. Certainly, uh, you could create uh, small sounds. You know, you could um, maybe use this to distract some guards or get them to you know go a different way and uh, allow your party passage through uh, through the dungeon. mm Hmm. So just a just an overall really cool spell, um, I think I I always pick this if I'm playing wizard, um, but I guess enough about that. We already know how great prestidigitation is, and that whole package of those three uh, spells: prestidigitation, thaumaturgy, druidcraft. Um, excellent spells. I'm actually going with a, a druid cantrip for my uh, number two, um, which is the cantrip shillelagh. Uh, I think this is one, if you're playing Druid, this is like an auto pick for me. Um, just to remind uh, you, if you're listening, this is the cantrip that makes your uh, your club or your quarter staff um, a magical weapon. Um, for the duration, you uh, well, attacks with it are magical. Um, your, your damage die becomes a D8. You get to use your spellcasting ability instead of strength for the attack and damage rolls. Um, so what's great, so like also it becoming a D8 is kind of um, an interesting point because druids typically aren't wielding these fancy martial weapons. They have, you know, basic things. Their power comes from their affinity to nature. So having a D8 melee weapon um, it, for, for low levels is, is uh, incredibly strong. This is definitely something that is, uh, I, I think, it's outclassed once you kind of level up a little bit in Druid, but at, at lower levels, this is a really crucial cantrip. And the other nice thing about this is it's a bonus action. So normally, if you are engaged in combat, maybe you're out of spells, or maybe you're, um, all the spells you have are ranged spells and you need something that's powerful to engage in melee, well, you bonus action cast Shillelagh and then whack someone with your stick, <laughs> basically how it usually goes. Um, and also, the having the uh, simple access 
to magical damage can sometimes be pretty critical. It's not, it doesn't always come up, but it's nice to have that in your back pocket to know that walking is, um, have this magical damage whenever I want. Yeah. I think, I think that letting, you know, druids have the ability to protect themselves and not have to worry about a, a spell. I mean, cause you know, not all times you're going to be able to use magic. There may be some anti-magic zones or, or things like that where you're only allowed to have maybe a stick on you, a staff, something. Right. And it is a, it is good protection for low level druids. Yeah. I think it's the unfortunate side is where it, it kind of falls off. Um, I think this is an, a, an example of a cantrip that does become useless after a certain level, unfortunately, um, because druids do have a lot of, you know, spells to cast and spell slots. So as higher level druids, they're just going to be using their, they're not going to be up close or using any, any melee range things. So I think that at some point, most druids will stop using that. Right. Like I said, at a certain point, your spells like certainly outclass this D8 melee damage. Um, but it is nice to have it in your back pocket. Um, at low levels, this is kind of a go-to if you need some sort of up-close and personal protection um, that isn't simply reducing reducing damage or giving yourself better armor. Mm-hmm. So I so, think that, yeah, that oh, brings us oh. to our number one picks. So my number one pick, favorite cantrip of 5e, at least right now, is Minor Illusion. Now, for anybody that is unfamiliar, um, it is an illusion, obviously, an illusion cantrip. Lasts for one minute and a casting time of one action. It can be used by bards, sorcerers, warlocks, wizards, and Way of the Shadow monks. So, this cantrip allows you to create an illusory image or object within the range. It is a 30-foot range, and it is a limitation of a 5-foot cube. You can dismiss the illusion as an action, or you can use it, or you can cast a spell again. If you create a sound, the volume can range from a whisper to a scream. It can be your voice, somebody else's voice, you know, a lion's roar, beating of drums, or basically any other sound that you choose. And the sound continues throughout the duration of the spell. Um, and you can make discrete sounds at different times before the spell ends. So you can change it a little bit before the spell ends. And if you're going to create an object, uh, such as like a chair, muddy footprints, or a small chest, it cannot be larger than a five-foot cube. The image can't create sound, light, smell, or any other sensory effect. Um, physical interaction with the image does reveal it to be an illusion because things can pass right through it. And if a creature uses its, uses its action to examine the sound or the image, the creature can, deter, can determine that it is an illusion with a successful intelligence or investigation check against your spell save DC. If the creature discerns the illusion for what it is, the illusion becomes faint to the creature. So along with prestidigitation, this is extremely versatile. You can use this to create a multitude of things. You can... Um, I, th I think something that I did for, for one of mine is I passed off, um, I passed off a copper piece as a gold piece. I just took this copper piece and I waved my hand over it and made it look like a gold piece. And because there's nothing to pass through because it's just the color on the, the front of it, it, the person took it as a gold piece 
And then later when they put it in their pocket, they probably realized it was a copper piece. Um, you can also create maybe somebody calling somebody from another room, being able to create that sound from the other side of a door. Um, I just think there's so many, so many cool ways to manipulate this spell. Um, you know, another one for me, I, I tried to implicate somebody in an assault on me. So I, we were uh, wrestling in a competition and they said no magic, no weapons. It was just basically a, a, a fist fighting ring. And uh, he went in and he tackled me and I, I screamed and then I used minor illusion to create a knife in my stomach. So that people thought that he brought in a weapon and he got disqualified and all this stuff happened. Uh, you know, ended in a, in, a, in a chase scene and things like that. But I still use the spell that way and I think it was really, really fun. Hey, nice. That's a really creative use of that, yeah. So I think Minor Illusion is just a really fantastic cantrip. Um, again, a thousand and one uses, but I think this one lends itself a little bit more to deception, sneakery, um, maybe some espionage. You can create an illusion of a, a chest and hide behind it or create some sort of cover for yourself um, that may that may be very mundane so that people are not trying to look into your spell. It's sort of like, um, prestidigitation's big brother. Yeah, I, I would, I would say so. Um, and that's why it's, it's my number one spot for sure. It's a, it's quite a, quite a, quite a cool spell. And I'm, I'm really happy that you took one of these. That's, uh, not just a big out, outburst of damage, but it's one of those that um, is creative and versatile, and you can do a, many different things with it, up to the player's uh, imagination. I think, um, I was reading online, somebody had said they were in a fight, and somebody cast Minor Illusion and put a helmet with no visor, like a, with no eye holes on a creature, and they had low intelligence, and they couldn't discern that it was an illusion, <laughs> and they were blinded. Oh my gosh, that's really cool, I, I, I like that. Yeah, I mean, it it fit within that five-foot cube, and the creature thought the thing was real, and you can't see through an iron helmet that has no eye holes. Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. All right, well, getting to my number one pick, um, I actually really like uh, this new cantrip from Tasha's called Sword Burst. And if you remember from the Tasha's episode, I was really raving about this. I was really excited. Um, Sword Burst, just to remind you, you create a momentary circle of spectral blades that sweep around you, and creatures within five feet of you must succeed on a deck save or take 1d6 force damage. That damage does increase at 5th level to 2d6, um, 3d6 at 11th level, and then 4d6 at 17th level. Um, and what I like about this is... Aside, I, I looked through all the cantrips list, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but I only found one other cantrip that has a similar effect, which is the Thunderclap cantrip. Kind of does the same thing. It's a little bit different. It's a, a con save, and you know, with Thunderclap, you're creating this thunderous boom of uh, of sound. So maybe you don't want to produce that, or um, you know, maybe it's just uh, you don't have access to that that cantrip based on your class. Um, but what I like about Sword Burst, like I said, it, besides that, there's really not any cantrip AoE effect. Um, and at low levels, you're facing oftentimes a lot of these small creatures. You're you're facing stuff like goblins, where their strength is in numbers. Um, 
or some other small creatures that, you know, if you're in a spot where you're surrounded by a bunch of stuff, well, it's going to be a bad day for you and will come their turn because likely they're all getting um, advantage and there's just, you know, it's the whole action economy thing. So having something that can um, deal with that is, I think at low level is going to be pretty crucial. Um, so sword burst being one of the very few ways to tackle that scenario, um, I think this makes this my most exciting and favorite cantrip of 5e so far. Um, I haven't played with it in practice, so I, I could be vastly overrating it. It's, this actually might not be as good as I'm thinking, but I'm really excited to try it, and this makes my top spot for my 5e cantrips. I would agree. I think that it has very good... Um... Just it has good potential to get some of these sword swingers off of your wizard, off of your squishier spell casters. So I I don't think that your your excitement for this cantrip is misplaced. I think that I think this has some really cool practical applications that may discourage some DMs to throw these you know goblins and try to swarm your your spell casters because they have a pretty formidable cantrip waiting for them in their back pocket. Yeah, it, this is, I mean, it is a little bit situational. I don't think you're often going to get that dream scenario of let me hit, uh, you know, seven different things with this cantrip. More more, more than likely, it's going to be you're hitting two and maybe three things at best, if, if that's the case. Um, but just that ability to maybe deal with something that uh, multiple things are... are all up in your business and um, you don't want to die because you only have eight hit points because you're a level one <laughs> level one uh, character. So that that uh, certainly takes my top spot. I am very excited to uh, go ahead and try this out in, in practice. Um, I did want to say that uh, another, possibly one of my runners up, um, I actually needed to reread re this because uh, I, I think this often gets overlooked because some other cantrips just simply outclass it. Um, and I was actually going to message you about this one. Um, but I think if you are in a situation where you don't really have a good weapon to defend yourself um, and you're kind of in a bind, maybe the scenario comes up where you've just dropped your weapon. Um, I don't know what the situation could be, but I think this, the spell, the cantrip Magic Stone is better than people think it is. I understand it's a little bit situational, but the ability to simply like turn a rock into a D6 plus your spell casting modifier on hit, I, I think is pretty nuts. Yeah, just make sure you've got some rocks laying at your feet and you're not in a in a in a king's court or somewhere that's yeah. pretty pristine. Yeah. But um anyways, um yeah, I just wanted to mention that one, sort of put that in my my runners up it's clearly not as good as my uh my honorable mentions prestidigitation and thaumaturgy and whatnot but i did i did think this was one that you might consider in the future it certainly doesn't uh, beat out some stuff but it's i think it's one of those that's maybe better than you um might might think it's uh, one to consider anyways um so with that i think we've gone through we think we beat all these to death is there any last words on your five favorite 5th edition cantrips. Um, you know, like we've kind of said with these past couple um, tip-giving episodes, 
these are just our experiences. Obviously, um, I'm sure that uh, some people think that Guidance, Mage Hand, or Shillelagh are the bottom, bottom of the barrel cantrips. Um, these are just the ones that we've had the most fun playing with and find a lot of uses for. So yeah, these are just our experiences. I love the ones that I picked. I'm going to continue picking Prestidigitation, Guidance, and you know, Minor Illusion. I know they're cheesy, I know they're picked a lot, but there's a reason that I pick them all the time is because I can find those thousand and one uses for them, and I enjoy the challenge. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for, for stopping by. That does it for our show this week. If you liked this episode, please check out our future episodes, which we release every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central. Next week, we will be talking about creating simple character voices if you're not comfortable using accents. So stay tuned for that. This has been Discussions and Dragons. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>